listening to Mental Selling, the sales performance podcast, a show from Integrity Solutions. This is a podcast for passionate leaders in sales and customer service who are driven by purpose, not just a paycheck. People who want to create broader and deeper connections with customers and their teams by building trust and mastering the critical mental and emotional sides of sales. You're about to hear a conversation from sales leaders and industry experts about what it takes to translate sales knowledge into sales performance. How to change the sales conversation by putting the focus on building relationships and adding value, removing the blockers that keep salespeople from reaching their potential, creating an inspiring learning environment and coaching culture, and ultimately increasing sales achievement and improving customer loyalty. Ready to rise up to the top of your game? Let's get right into the show. Welcome back to Mental Selling. This is your favorite sales podcast, and thank you for being with us again. If you're a repeat listener and if you're a brand new listener for the first time, we appreciate you joining us. Today, we are going to speak with Janice B. Gordon. Janice helps organizations unleash their hidden potential and accelerate growth by investing in truly customer-centric selling, and she's a champion of customer retention. So she's obviously a great fit for the focus our focus here on mental selling. She's been listed as a top 100 global business influencer. She was named the number four sales guru of 2020, and she's the author of Business Evolution, Creating Growth in a Rapidly Changing World. So Janice, being in the UK, you're also our first guest from outside the United States, so you get that distinction <laughs> as well. You're, you're helping make us a truly global podcast, so thank you and welcome, Janice. Well, it's absolutely my pleasure. And as I told uh, Janice before we started, and you, the listeners can't see me, but it was pure coincidence that the coffee mug I pulled out of my cabinet this morning is a British Union Jack flag. I promise that was coincidence, but it's a good coincidence. It is. So Janice, let's jump right in. Given your expertise, let's start with a relatively broad question, but how do great salespeople stand out today? And, and what do you think that, that customers expect or even conversely, what customers dread from the buying experience today? Customers dread being sold to. I mean, we all do. Just because we're talking about the B2B environment, suddenly they don't become ro robots. They're still people. So they absolutely dread that. They dread wasted time because... Now, Gartner did some research and they, uh, buyers only spend 17% of their time actually buying. And that's divided by all of the suppliers that they need to see. And so you may only get like 1% or 5% of the time. So when you finally get in front of the buyer, do not waste their time, which means what makes a good salesperson is understanding what that buyer needs in that moment to move them on to the next stage, not to sell to them, but to answer that particular question that the buyer has in their mind. So you've got to do discovery questions as to what that question, what answer they want to their particular question. So often we're so excited as salespeople that we finally get in front of the buyer, this prospect, they've done all the, the research, we get too excited and we're thinking about ourselves. 
rather than thinking that the buyer has come to me for a particular reason. Now, the buyers don't always know the full extent of the reason, but there is a reason. So your job is to find out what that is. Where's the gap? What do they need? Where are they trying to get? What is the outcome? What is the context to all of this? How many decision makers? You know, what is the urgency of the... That's what you need to find out very quickly because you only have a bit of time because they really, the only reason they're sitting in front of you is they want you to fill the gap. So you need to get some context and then you need to fill that gap. Give them enough information to move them on to the next stage. Do not bombard them with your sales pitch or all the things you think they need to know. They're in control of the situation. So it's really understanding that they are in control and really understanding that you're simply collaborating, helping them to move to the next stage. You bring up a few really good points. One is that the job of the seller is often to help the buyer uncover needs that that he or she may not even realize that they have or go well beyond the uh, initial needs that they've stated in, in the conversation, right? That's the job of the salesperson is to help uncover and advance those things. And I think the other great point is that with so much information available at the, the buyer's fingertips, that a salesperson has to be aware that their role really today in 2022 has has changed, right? It's, it's not about giving them the company one-on-one pitch product information, but it's really about getting right into that deeper conversation. So with so much of that information available to to the buyers today, without the help of of a salesperson throwing it their way, what do you think a salesperson really needs to, how do they need to view their role today? Because the role of sales itself has really evolved quite a bit, not only in the last couple of years because of the pandemic, but, but going back to the last few years, what do you, how do you think salespeople should internalize what their role actually is? I think it's really, I did a speaking engagement the other day and I was really talking about this ecosystem of where buyers are going. And so that's where we need to go as as salespeople. And, you know, it was under the title of frictionless um, selling. And so I got the sales uh, team, the salespeople in the room to really think about what is the journey that the buyer goes on? And what is your role in that in that journey? So buyers, there's so much information, as you've said, Will, that's available to them online. What a buyer wants is to be able to drop into a conversation either with you face-to-face or online or through your website or all of the collateral that you have there. They're searching to fill a gap. They're searching for um, to answer a question. So imagine a buyer will uh, do some general research. They'll drop onto your website. They'll see some content. They'll read something about it. And then they'll go on to someone they want to now compare. You know, is that information correct? They might then come back to a different place on the website that moves them on in their journey. They may uh, watch a video, a bit of a demo. They're doing all this, this research themselves. Once they come to a point where they feel they've done, they've scanned the environment, they've narrowed down the supplier or where they're getting the most relevant information. Now they want to take it further. They need to speak to somebody to answer something that they can't quite easily find that's already out there. So they're kind of doing it reluctantly, but they have a particular thing in their mind. So then you might 
get in front of them. And that's why I said earlier, it's really important to find out what's that particular thing in the, in their mind. But after they've spoken to you, they're probably going to go back to your website to make sure that that information is correct, or they may compare it with something else. So the journey of a buyer is that they're dropping in, they're coming back out, they're dropping back in, they're coming back out, but they don't want to start at the beginning again. What they want to do is just move up their journey. So imagine we often will uh, call our banks or, you know, a supplier and we'll explain the situation, what is our problem? And the person on the other end of the call will say, oh, I know the person that can solve this for you. They then transfer you. And what happens more often than not, you have to start at the beginning again, explaining the situation. This is really frustrating. So imagine the buyer on that side, actually then speaking with a salesperson and going back to the beginning of their journey. They don't want that. And it's really frustrating. It's really irritating. And you've just knocked yourself off that short list. So that's why it's important to understand the journey, the jobs that the, the buyer is trying to do and making sure that you understand what that job is, what that gap is and how you can move them on. The reason why they've come to you is because they can't find it out there in, a, you know, Google land, you know, in the ethernet. So they need to speak to someone. So they're speaking to you for a particular reason, understand what that is. And it's also, I, I think you're alluding to this, but this buyer's journey, it's on their terms, not yours. Absolutely. So it, it, it's not this nice, neat, linear funnel, you know, the, the sort of classic sales funnel graphic. That's not the world we live in. Like you said, they're jumping in, they're jumping out, they're on your website once, they might come back a couple of weeks later, whatever the case may be. They're on your social media profiles, they're doing Google searches, those sorts of things. And and a lot of what they're doing is establishing, or what you're doing for them, hopefully, is establishing the credibility, right? That that they're then at least willing to speak with you. So that's why I think, like you're saying, that then the salesperson has to help advance that once you do have the opportunity to get them on the phone or on, or on Zoom, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or on Zoom. <laughs> even what, um, better, even yeah. better, because you can pick up on so much more. I think the other thing to say, because we, they are on Zoom, you've really got to start to retrain your brain to um, pick up on different types of body language and what that means. And when they are... Um, really understanding when they've got a question in their mind and what that looks like on their face, what behaviors will suggest that. And rather than rattling on and finishing the answer to your question, stop at that point because they've got a question in their mind and you don't want them to lose the question. But the fact that you are actively listening and watching for their their subtle nuances and behaviors really means that you're dialed into them. So it's great when they're on Zoom, but I've seen a lot of salespeople are on Zoom like they're on the phone and it's very different. Yeah, absolutely. Salespeople have had to, especially those that were not used to Zoom until a couple of years ago, they've really had to retrain themselves or have the organization retrain them to be able to, to be engaged in a different way. On, you know, on Zoom versus versus on the phone, and I think the other thing that that you mentioned, which I completely agree with, is once a salesperson gets on connected to 
a prospect or potential buyer, they can't start from square one. All that information about um, that the companies have at their fingertips of what a buyer might have been looking at on your website, you know, how they've engaged with you so far, that should be telling you a story, right? That should tell you, at least give you some degree of insights into what they might be sniffing around about. Absolutely. Absolutely. What else do you think buyers wish sellers knew today? It's almost not a wish. It's, it's or expect. Got, yeah, expect. They expect you to be have business acumen. They expect you to um, make the connections for them. Often we, as salespeople, we will think what they already know that, but we don't question whether they do know that. Is this going to be useful to you? So I think you need to go the extra mile in terms of your research around the company, around the, the industry before you get on the call. But you also perhaps need to speak to other people within the organization and see their perspective and really understand their organization really well. Do the research on that a particular buyer personally. Do not uh, treat all buyers the same. So if they're a, a CTO, what conference did they go to? What conversations did they have? If they're, they're marketing, because we all know in the B2B environment, we have a team of buyers and they don't always communicate with one another, but what they always do is they have their own drivers. So they all have their own perspective on what will solve the problem. So do not speak to every buyer in the same organization for the same solution in the same way. And really understand what they're looking for. What's the, the non-negotiable thing that they want you to provide, which is going to be very different to the, the next buyer, the next decision maker, what is the one negotiable? Often you may be the person that has to reconcile that for them around the table and prioritize which one's more important because buyers do within an organization don't always speak to one another. <laughs> or, but if you have all of that information at your fingertips, then you can bring them together. So it's corralling all of these different um, elements to help them to make the right decision for their organization and right. to put it into context with who are their competitors and who are the who's the customers customers and what's happening there and you know what's happening in the industry and and different industries what new technologies are coming they're looking for you as that uh, business sense and also for the the person that pulls all of the different connections the strings together it's a good perspective. You, what you're saying is that salespeople, they have to view themselves to some extent as a facilitator to facilitate the dialogue of what the organization cares about, but do it in the context of what each of the, the various roles in that, as we know, ever expanding buying committee, it's becoming more and more complex, right? But, but you're right, the, the CTO and the COO and the CMO, you know, et cetera, et cetera, they're all viewing this through different lens and you as a salesperson have to recognize that and be able to sort of adapt the value you're bringing based on what those people in those roles care about. And I think the other thing you touched on, which was really good, is making sure you're showing up to that call or subsequent calls armed with understanding what's going on in that industry and with the or, you know, or with the organization it, itself, you know, what's been going on in, in the news or you know, what's the CEO talking about? Because a salesperson, right, they can't show up asking what's keeping you up at night. 
right? The buyer expects you to know what's keeping he or she up at night and, and not waste their time with that, right? Isn't that an awful question? It's terrible. It's an awful question. I mean, I, I think I, if I was a buyer, I wouldn't be surprised if they hung up the phone if a salesperson said that to me. Really, how ridiculous is, is that? It may, you're basically saying as a salesperson, I know nothing. I know absolutely, I've done no research and I right. know nothing. I mean, that's ridiculous, isn't it? <laughs> I, don't it know is. why, I don't know where it came from, but we need to, you know, just cut that out of our conversation. So um, this sort of leads me into the next thing I wanted to ask you about, which is you, you've written about self-awareness in sales. Yeah. Can you talk about what that what that means from your perspective and what sort of why being self-aware as a salesperson is is so important? Self-awareness is a really important um, trait in, in, in sales. And I really like the I've used the disc profiler for a, a long time and it it's a, helps to differentiate different personality traits, dominance, influence, uh, steadiness and conscientiousness. But what I love about it, it talks about your natural style and your adaptive style. And it's being aware of where you are in those things. Now, people think I'm extroverted. I'm not. I'm introverted. When I go on stage or something like that, it's ta-da! <laughs> this is my <laughs> adaptive style. I mean, after, after this, Will, I'll have to go and stand in a corner and, you know, give myself a talking to and quiet myself. <laughs> self down. Um, but that's what I, I do. So, and that's why people think I'm extroverted. So I will be able to adapt to one or the other, but the, what adaption am, am I doing? I'm adapting to my audience, my, the, the buyer in front of me who may not want ta-da and not react to that, but actually would want the more kind of considered quieter uh, approach. So it's important for sell, um, salespeople to be self-aware, to understand that they do have the flexibility between their own personality from their natural style and their adaptive style. But the what they choose is dependent on the, per the recipient, the person that they're talking to. So they also have to uh, be able to understand the person they're talking to and what their style is as well. So the more you learn about your own style, the more you understand other people's style and you can adapt to it. In being in a, a customer-centric operation, awareness is so important and it's awareness of others around you, awareness of how you need to react to others around you, awareness to what's important to the customer, the buyer, or even your colleague at the, um, the table, you know, sitting next to you or someone that you're working with in terms of, you know, collaborating with. We're, we're adapting all the time, but it's adapting not to what our needs are, is being self-aware of our own needs, but also adapting to other people's needs. Selling is about communication, and this is such an important communication ability trait to be able to do that. Yeah, we, we refer to, um, when you talk about communication styles and adapting, understanding your own, being self-aware of your own and adapting to others, we refer to that as, as behavior styles. Yeah. We have a, a model where it's there are talkers, doers, controllers, and supporters. And as you said, everybody has a sort of dominant style, but then they have a more adaptive style or, or, or secondary, right, that they can 
spring forward or or pull back depending on this on the situation. So it, it it's a great great insight because just communication and being aware of the way you communicate yourself and then being able to adapt to to the person that you're speaking with is is so so important to um, developing that rapport. Another way that sellers need to gain rapport with with prospects and customers is through social selling, right? What do you do? You think sellers today are are getting social selling right, or or maybe I should word it as as what are sellers getting right about it, and and if sellers aren't doing it right, what needs to change? Yeah, sellers are not doing it right. I mean, all of us are on LinkedIn, aren't they? And we get someone connecting, then they sell straight away. And then you unconnect with them, don't you? So what was the point in that? It just undermines your your credibility when you do that. And it may be you might be the most credible person with a relevant product um, for me. But the fact is that your your behaviors, your actions has undermined what you do. So that's what you don't want to do. I've got a social selling course that I've, I've, I've launched to help everybody, whether entrepreneurs, career builders, but, you know, because I've run this so many times with, with salespeople. And I, I'm getting so fed up that a lot of them are still not getting it. So that's why I, I, I launched the course. Never, never connect and sell, ever, ever, ever. It just erodes your reputation. But what you should be doing and what we talk about in um, Scale Your Sales Attraction is is to engage, engage your audience, educate your audience, give them relevant information and elevate that relationship into a partnership, collaborate with them. And so what you need to do, you need to engage them first before you connect. Because now what's happened, there's so much mistrust, and I'm talking about LinkedIn, but it's this is across the board. There's so much mistrust. You're thinking, it's like when the phone rings, isn't it? You And you're scared to pick up the phone because we get yes. so few phone calls. It's like, right. oh, is it going to be someone that's trying to sell me something? It's the same. If someone's connecting with you, oh, should I connect? Are they going to sell to me? We have this fear and we shouldn't. So if you engage with somebody you're interested in, and you keep engaging with him, you're building up a relationship, you're building up a force field of trust, and then you connect, they're more likely to connect with you. And and it means that they're not going to have that initial fear, is this person going to sell to me? So I always talk about engaging first. So that would be reading their content, reading their profile, liking and commenting commenting right commenting Commenting on on things that they're saying or or on what the organization is saying exactly intelligently commenting you know not just the cut and paste but you've read the article you've read the 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 bio and you know sharing it with other people that are relevant what i i talk about is uh, social selling is finding relevant people What's relevant is going to be your sweet spot, your most valued customers, key customers, but not only potential customers, but also the influencers, the industry um, experts, the people that you can gather a lot of great information about what's going on. So it's relevant people and you decide who is relevant. 
and with the aim of having relevant conversations and relevant, again, relevant conversation, it's relevant to them. You know, so that's why when you're engaging, you're finding out what's relevant to them, the language, the tone, the words that they use is telling you all that information about what's relevant to them with an aim of moving online offline. And then if you've gone to a conference and you've seen people offline, then you're moving it online to continue to nurture and engage and develop that relationship so you can elevate it to a partnership where you feel that you've created a friendship with that person, a close relationship where you understand them, there's a mutual respect and they understand you. That's how you need to use social selling. And, and nurture, I think, is is the key word there, right? You're nurturing a relationship. You can't just jump into it, like you said, connection request, immediate request for a meeting. I mean, you, I'm sure you get those. I get those all the time. It's very frustrating. It's very off-putting. It's just, you know, because the person has not established any sort of rapport, trust, credibility, and like anything else in in sales, sales is about being value added. And, and it seems like on social media, a lot of salespeople overlook that, right? They're, they're not adding value. They're not sharing insights or perspectives that can help people so that when that connection request goes out and somebody looks at your profile, why would they? Because they know what's coming, right? Yeah. They fear what's, what's, what's coming. They certainly do. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think um, on uh, social selling, it's the two-way conversation and what i mean by that is that you comment on their their content they then will thank you or whatever and then you go back and you ask them a question that's relevant to them they then come back to it's two-way if we were in a room face to face i would listen to your response and i would respond based on your response that's what you need to do online you need to develop engagement isn't just a comment but it's actually a response to a comment. That's how the uh, algorithms are measuring conversations. So that's what you need to do. Absolutely. No, that's that's really good advice. I want to jump to attracting and hiring and onboarding salespeople. What do you think companies should be looking for and, and what should their approach be in your perspective um, in attracting and hiring sales talent? Uh, today. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, at the top there, you said your your favorite podcast. And I'm thinking, well, they must, he must, Will must mean scale your sales podcast. <laughs> now, the reason why I bring that up is because I always ask my, my guests about diversity in sales. I'm a black woman. I've been in and around sales for, for 20, 30, 30 years. And I'm kind of I'm fed up of the lack of diversity in sales. So I decided a couple of years ago that this is something I'm asking all of my guests. I want to start the conversation, continue the conversation. I often ask um, senior leaders that I, I um, work with for their diverse makeup of the organization because the sales function in an organization is really just you know a um, a blueprint to what's happening in other areas of the organisation, and I'm not talking about the um, 
the non-executive directors, I want to know the senior leadership team, what is the diverse makeup? And then I can move to, you know, how important this is in sales, because if the leaders are not doing it at the top, they're not thinking about it, they're not thinking of attracting it, then the HR people, the sales people, they're not going to be thinking about it. So it's, you know, it's throughout the entire organization. But in terms of thinking about uh, the recruitment process, it's being aware that there is bias there is bias in recruitment processes, whether it's, you know, the, the name or, you know, where the, the job ads go. So you need to be aware of these things in order to remove some of those barriers. And you need to have, a, as I say, an objective that you're recruiting diverse a diverse team of people into your organization. There are stats that's been around for years about a diverse team is more effective and, and, and more successful, profitability, all of that. But we're not really seeing the needle move that much, really. And so even if you can make more profits from them, it's got to be something that's that's led, led from the top. So if you want to recruit, and I would advise all organizations need to be doing this now, because the younger generation, is not working generation you know y and z they're not interested in organizations that don't have the 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 same values as them then you know so you have got to be an organization if you want to be attracted to attract you know the best talent so you need to make sure you reflect the same um, values so recruiting a diverse team is really important and your job description is another area of bias you need a diverse group of people to look at the job descriptions to again to make sure the words that i talk about in sales that i really again is something that i'm irks me, killer, you know, all of these words, target, customers referring to the targets on on their their backs, you know, aggressive, all all of these words are terrible, disrespectful words. We see those words in job descriptions. And that means there's a a whole cohort of people that would not apply because that doesn't they don't share the same values. Right. Because even if it's unintentional, it might be sending a signal for how that organization views their customers, right? Well, exactly. Yeah. If they're putting it in an advert, they're not yeah. seeing it. What does that tell you about the culture of that organization? Right. So that's and, why and- I say you need a diverse group of people to look at the um, job ads. Um, and I don't want them to take out the words and the organization, the culture of your organization hasn't changed. Mm-hmm because they'll recruit someone and they simply won't stay, which is expensive. So, you know, that's one starting point. The other thing, as I I mentioned, is the culture of the organization. You know, you'll often have the token female person in senior leadership. Your critical mass is you need at least three for uh, at least three in a team so that you you get that that critical mass. So you get that diversity of of views. Now you can like maybe three in 10 or so, so that's 30 in 100. So you really, there aren't, you know, areas that you you need to um, make sure that in terms of the hiring, your attitude to training and ongoing training of your existing team of people that are there. So if you're going to change things, if your your emphasis is going to change, you can't just bring in new people. You've got to change the whole culture of the organization and to make sure that you do have that collaboration and, and the best fit for people coming in. And like you said, those unconscious biases that exist, that clearly exist, those have to be addressed through 
new hire recruiting and onboarding, but like you just said, also with the existing team, right? Do you do you think that it's an obvious answer, but but to what extent, how do buyers view the diversity issue? There's a, there seems to be, I think, a, a much greater importance placed on it from the buyer's perspective when they're checking you out as an organization, right? They're starting to put it in their RFPs. Right. <laughs> this is the criteria for selection. And I'm loving that because companies don't want, you know, often companies don't change unless they're forced to change. And so I am absolutely loving this. And yes, buyers are checking you out. They're looking at, you know, who is uh, in the senior leadership team. They're, they're, they're looking for partners. And, you know, if you're not, if you you're, you don't look like them, your language is different, you're not reflecting them, again, you know, shared values, then they don't think it's going to work and they you won't get onto the shortlist. Gone are the days where, you know, a sales pitch and you, they turn up and it's all white men, <laughs> you know, they, yeah. they're having to think about how they're doing this and how they're presenting um, themselves to buyers because buyers are actually they're leading the way um, on this. So it is really important. It's building on what we've been talking about, about attracting and, and cultivating sales talent. How do you think sales leaders are doing today in, in coaching and, and helping to empower their salespeople? What's, what's the state of sales coaching from your standpoint? There are some companies that are doing it well, but not enough. Sales leaders, if you think of the how they've become a sales leader, often it's because that they were the most productive salesperson, and right. then they drop into their leadership role with very little training on on management and and, and skills. And so, it, their idea of you know being productive is very much this kind of old bully type techniques and and um measuring the the figures and not not using the kind of softer skills if they've never been coached before then it's really difficult to understand what that means so we know that that selling uh, sorry we know that training has a limited effect there is lots of stats out there about the learning curve and, you know, a week later, how much of that is being retained a month later. Whenever I do any engagement, there's always a long tail after that engagement to help to embed that, that learning. And that normally, that long tail is in often in coaching. Coaching is the best way of changing behaviors. And often if a, a, sales, a sales leader is working with um, underperforming salesperson, it's about the behaviors and it's about the mindset. And in order to tap into those things, it's coaching is the much better tool in, in which to do this. So I think a lot more sales leaders need to understand and actually go through coaching themselves to see the impact on themselves to actually really understand how they can impact their team better. And that's what they want. They want to do a good job. They do want to impact their team. They do want to see the results, but they don't always have the tools to do it. Right. It can be a self, it's often for organizations a sort of self-fulfilling prophecy, if you will, that if the sales leader that's been newly promoted wasn't coached themselves, then they're not going to do it. And if the organization is not investing in helping that new sales leader understand what coaching looks like and why it's important and helping it sort of embed that mindset into them in their, their role, then it's going to fall, then it's going to fall by the wayside 
in in favor of just managing to the numbers and and like you said and and at integrity solutions we we preach this every single day so much of training effectiveness happens beyond the classroom or the training event and it's coaching that really is where the behavior change happens right that sort of that long tail as you said sort of after an initial training engagement that's really good yeah so we're going to wrap up one a last question I want to ask you about because it's really applicable to what we we talk about on this podcast and it's the importance of of confidence and motivation in sales as as critical aspects of a a salesperson being successful in the long run right and so you've written about resilience and we talked a bit about mindset earlier how do you think salespeople become more resilient and and help maintain their their confidence and motivation at times when that can be that can be challenging right yeah we've been through a couple of years where it's been the most challenging i think everyone's ever experienced and you know when you if you break a, an arm you get a fracture it heals back stronger so they should we should remove the fear of failure the fear of challenges because actually it makes us more it can make us more resilient if we have we take out the fear from it it's okay to fail it's okay to stretch your thinking if we don't start stretching our thinking our behaviors we're not going to learn we're not going to be able to adapt so failure is is about how we bounce back from something that is unexpected from a challenge from a crisis as i say broken bones heal stronger so i think it's about um almost re um reframing how we think about failure, that this is, is essential to build back that bone stronger, to enable us to bounce back. So we, we know that once we go down, we are springing back up and we're excited about the spring back, the bounce back. We know we've learned something. We know we can stretch our thinking. We know what works. And it's important that we get that feedback. And that helps us to develop the kind of growth mindset that um, Carol Dreck talks about, really expanding our minds and our pers- uh, pos- on the possibilities by not having the fear of not succeeding. So we won't try. We've got to continue to you know, expand our thinking, stretch our, our, our thinking. So that means that we have to test our boundaries. So that means we have to be willing to fail because we're excited about the bounce back. We're excited about the feedback. So I think it's really about reframing what we're doing and how we're doing it and being excited about that bounce back. Yeah, that's that's excellent. I, I, you know, it's almost like the analogy of if it takes ten phone calls to get an appointment, you don't view it as, you know, that you've been rejected nine out of ten times, but you're viewing each of those touches or outreaches you're making as steps toward that meeting, right? You're not viewing it through the lens of of failure, but you're using it through the lens of learning and, and progression. Yeah, and I, I think I would go a little bit step further in that every phone call, it is gathering some more data. 
That's what yes. it is. Is so you can then use. Oh, that's interesting. What they said, and maybe that might be important to my next customer. So I'm going to change what I'm doing. You know, changing my behaviours, changing my thinking, stretch it a little bit. Let me test that one out. The next one is another test. I've, I'm adapting what I'm saying, and then the the third and fourth one. So by the time you get to the ninth one. Actually, you've honed it that you really understand, you know, the buyer and what their needs are and that, you know, what's going on in, in, in their world. So that your response to that is going to be absolutely on, on the nail. Yeah, and like you said, it, it's, it's all about having that learning mindset or that growth mindset to enable you to do that. That's really good. Thank you. So we're at the end of our, our time. Janice, thank you so much again for um, the insights that you brought here to Mental Selling. I'd like to thank Janice B. Gordon for being with us. I hope everyone's come away. I know that everyone that's listened to this will have come away with some great new perspectives and ideas that they can use, whether they're an individual salesperson or, or in a sales leadership role. You can find Janice B. Gordon on Twitter. Uh, her Twitter handle is at Janice B. Gordon. Her website is scaleyoursales.co.uk, and you will also find her on LinkedIn. So Janice, thank you so much again for being with us. This has been great, and uh, uh, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. Uh, if you've listened to just this episode, we have dozens of other episodes for you to listen to, and we'll have our next episode after this coming up in just a couple of weeks. So thank you for subscribing. Please give us a rating. Review really helps us to improve the show. And again, thank you so much to Janice B. Gordon for being a tremendous guest today. Thanks, everyone, and have a great day. At Integrity Solutions, we believe you need a different approach to sales and service to succeed in tomorrow's world. We know that sales performance isn't just about what you know, it's about who you are. We are performance experts who enable sales teams to build trusted customer relationships with integrity at their core. For over 50 years, Integrity Solutions has specialized in award-winning, innovative sales, service, and coaching training solutions that fuel performance, grow talent, lift up customers, and elevate leaders. Our solutions connect knowledge, skills, and values to help our clients embrace their roles with a greater sense of purpose and outperform year after year. No one is better at unleashing the mental side of selling. Learn more about our unique approach and the clients and industries we proudly serve at IntegritySolutions.com. You've been listening to Mental Selling, an Integrity Solutions podcast. Stay in touch with us by subscribing to the show in your favorite podcast player and following us on LinkedIn and Twitter. Please give us a rating, leave a comment, and share episodes you love. That helps us keep empowering sales and service leaders to master the mental side of selling. Until next time, let's go out and create amazing customer experiences.